My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is produced in collaboration with Studio Pod Media. For information on our episodes, articles, and professional community, head to technicallyspeakinghw.com today. Hey everybody, my name is Harrison Wheeler and welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking. My guest today is Timmy Adinyi and she's a design leader at Shopify. And she says that she's making wonderful things on the internet. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for that welcome. Yeah. So maybe give guests a a little bit of a background and tell us who Timmy is. Yeah. Okay. Who am I? So I'm originally from London. been living in in Berlin now for the past eight something years. Uh, It was a place that I thought I would be for like six months. So being here for eight years is kind of a revelation to me. And yeah, I'm a design leader. So most recently at Shopify, I actually left recently, but was there for about a year working on a product called Shop. And prior to that, I had been a design leader at a startup here in Berlin called Blinkist. And even before then, working as a product designer in Berlin, but also working in basically agency back home in London. So I've had this sort of path of going from being on the agency side and then moving to Berlin also saw me switch to product design and then eventually design leadership. So yeah, aside from that, I have a giant sweet tooth, (laughs) which I'm always trying to like battle with. So that's a big one for me. And I love plantain in all forms. So yeah, it's a bit about me. Plantain, plantain. So, okay, sweet tooth. What is like your current advice right now in terms of that? Oh my God, my current vice. Um, so I'm, I actually kind of forced myself on a sugar break. So I'm on like day, t- <laughs> day t- I told you it's bad. I'm on like day 12 of this 30 day sugar break. But oh, wow. Yeah, it's been rough. Sugar strike. Yeah, sugar strike. I'm like, I need to just, I got to the point where I was like, okay, this might be a little bit too much. I do like some breaks now and again, just reset and go cold turkey. But ordinarily, I really like kind of sour sweets, gummy, kind of candy, that kind of stuff. Like Sour Patch Kids, right? Yeah, exactly. We also have something in the UK called fruit pastels. They're not really sour, but they're like very chewy and sugary. It's completely up my alley. Yeah, I love sweet, gummy, sour things. So Sour Patch Kids, like once you get a pack in front of me, regardless of the size, I'm probably going to get through it. <laughs> I really love lemon heads. I don't know if they have those out there, but lemon heads were my kind of thing. So is this something that you kind of picked up during like the pandemic or was it actually exacerbated because of it? That's funny. I think I have been like a lifelong sweet tooth, I have to say. But I honestly, I feel like everyone in my family kind of is. So whenever I meet people who are like, oh yeah, I don't really like like chocolate, I don't really like sweets, I'm just like, can't relate <laughs> at all. But yeah, during the pandemic, definitely, I would say, got really into chocolate, like a specific brand. There is, I think it's made in the Netherlands, but it's called Tony's, Tony's, Tony Chocoloni, something like that. Some kind of wacky name, but it's really, really good. So if you come across it, definitely try it. But I got very much into discovering every and all flavors <laughs> of that brand during the pandemic. Well, good thing this recorded. I can go back and reference it. <laughs> so if I'm in the area, I can make sure that I put it on the shopping list. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so look, I don't have a ton of guests that are 
from Berlin or that live in Berlin. And so maybe kind of take me through the vibe, like what's it like there and what is the design scene like? Just tell me about all things Berlin here. Yeah. Berlin is awesome. Like I really love living here, especially during this time of year where the weather is getting a lot warmer, where things are kind of in bloom. So for example, like in my apartment, I'm actually just kind of looking out the window and there's like tons of trees that I can see immediately and it's super green and lush. There's like a lot of nice parks here. It's a very creative city. And I think, especially coming from London, one of the big things that I noticed immediately was that it just feels like more breathable. Like London is super hectic. There's people around kind of all of the time. And I think being in that kind of environment also has an effect on just the way that you move through the world, I would say. You kind of hold that tension in your body a bit more, whereas here there's more space. There is kind of more room to to walk around, more room to sort of roam and wander and stuff like that. Not a slow-paced city, but it's also doesn't really have that like freneticness, which I like. So it's definitely got that kind of more laid back vibe. Having said that, there is definitely like a stereotype or reputation of Berliners being quite cold, which yeah, sometimes you're gonna find for sure. This like directness, bluntness kind of thing. But I think a really nice thing about moving here as well and kind of moving here on my own eight years ago was that I didn't know anybody, but the design community, the tech community was kind of so strong that it was really nice actually just to kind of move here and jump into that and have that community available right away. So I used to love kind of going to meetups and just kind of seeing what basically other designers were doing what other companies were about and stuff like that. So I think Berlin as well, in terms of its tech scene, has also really changed a lot from just like a couple of small startups back when I moved here to now there's like quite a few and quite a lot that are doing really well. So look, I want to kind of get us into a few icebreakers before we get into the meat of our conversation. And I'm going to toss you an easy one, but what's something that you're currently obsessing with right now? Currently obsessing with, oh, that's a tough one. I think Probably two things, two pretty different things, actually. So one of those things is ceramics. So that's a thing that I've kind of been dabbling with on and off. I have to say I make like really, really ugly pottery. There's no doubt about it. I'm definitely in that stage where everything I make is just kind of like grotesque (laughs) and just really bad. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of like being at that stage where I don't really know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just trying to figure something out and it's nice to work on something that is like quite tactile with my hands. So that's one thing. Um, I'm getting really into hand building. I've tried pottery on a wheel before. And then the other thing is boxing, which is kind of very different from ceramics. A beginner's course like a couple of weeks ago, and I've just been enjoying learning about that. Like Now that I think about it, the two things are actually similar for me in the sense that I'm a beginner at both of those things. And they're both quite technical and I'm kind of enjoying the freedom that you have in both things to kind of freestyle to some degree, but also the fact that you need to have some technique in order to actually do the thing. So yeah, those two things are... uh, So, uh, okay, I'm going to ask you this. Are these two things that you've dabbled in since you've left Shopify then? Oh, ceramics, no. Ceramics I've been kind of into for some time. Boxing... I started it just before I left. So I would say maybe a week or two before leaving. 
But now that I've left and I have like basically a bunch of free time, it's actually really nice to just have something that's giving me a bit of structure in my week. So yeah, continuing that path since then a bit deeper. I love it. It's kind of like a bit of a reinvention, right? It's like, I don't know, you're starting to to sound like a renaissance person here. You've got (laughs) walking outside, enjoying nature, the breathability, getting into boxing, getting in (laughs) ceramics. I mean, you have mad patience for ceramics. I personally, that was probably one of the hardest classes. I tried to take it three times in college and I dropped every time. So, But what did you, what were you trying to do? Was it like wheel? Was it hand building? No, it was hand building. Yeah. So it was like the whole process of building it, letting it kind of set. And when we would fire it, I think that's where I usually messed up because (laughs) you've got to do it the right way before you fire it. Right. And so, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even get to the glaze part. (laughs) So sad. sad. All right. Second question. What is something that you wish people talked about more? Oh, and and don't worry. I've been seeing all your sub tweets on Twitter. It's pretty hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) like do I even subtweet I guess actually one thing that's kind of present for me right now is just kind of financial literacy I think that's one thing for me and I think it's interesting because just generally speaking in tech I think there's a lot of talk around web3 around crypto around things like that and that's a really kind of interesting part of that conversation and what it means I guess for the way that we kind of perceive money or the way that we interact with it and stuff like that. But just the sort of basics of financial literacy, I think as I've kind of become older and just like more senior in my own career and stuff like that, the more acutely aware I become about, I guess, coming from a place where my financial literacy was on zero. Like (laughs) I kind of knew nothing and I feel like I've sort of had to teach myself a bit more and more over time. I think that's definitely one thing that I would love to see people talking about a bit more, especially within this industry and you have younger designers coming up and maybe they're dealing with things like, I don't know, like stock options and things like that. I think if someone had been like, oh, as part of your compensation, you get, you know, so-and-so RCs, I would have known absolutely nothing. I would have just been like, can it just be all cash? I wouldn't have known anything beyond that. So yeah, I think that's definitely a big thing on my mind. I think it's difficult too when you don't have a ton of folks in your circle that are talking about it either. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's one thing to understand it, but it's another thing to communicate it and start to comprehend it and build confidence behind it. Yeah. I think that like the comprehension bit is like key, right? Because I mean, this was like a year or two ago, I was just trying to educate myself more on like stocks and how that works and like taxes and so on. And I think the biggest thing that I found that sort of frustrated me was that it's basically all the material I was coming across was sort of written in this way that presumed you had some kind of baseline level of knowledge already. It was so kind of technical and jargony. And it's just like, where, where are the materials where they assume that I know nothing? And I think that's a lack of that out there, it feels like. Do you think you have more of a discerning eye to that because of your design background? <laughs> Perhaps in some way, I would say, you know, in a way, I would actually kind of liken it more to when I used to code, like I don't do any now, but it was actually one of the ways that I got into design in the first place. And um, before moving to Berlin, I used to really like just making really completely random websites for things. And 
there was one project that I did where I was like utilizing like Twitter's API for something and needed to know about JSON and stuff like that. And I was like, I have no idea what any of this means. It again, all presumed a certain like baseline level of knowledge. So then kind of coming into trying to understand more about stock markets and how all this stuff works, it made me think back to that time where it was very much similar, where it's like, it's very hard to get into something completely as a beginner because all of the sort of materials that help you learn not necessarily written in a way that's accessible to help you do that. All right, last icebreaker, all right? How would your friends or loved ones describe you in <laughs> two words? Oh, that's hard. I feel like it's sort of what depends on who you ask. <laughs> See, I, I told you it's going to go from easy to, to harder. You aren't kidding. <laughs> Okay, for the people who like know me, know me, I would say maybe a bit silly or funny. But then on the other hand, probably also a bit like kind of reflective, thoughtful, somewhere on that kind of spectrum that would put forwards. But yeah. So again, total opposites. <laughs> so you need some balance, I think. Okay, I like that. You need balance. I love that. See, look, we just tied it all together, all the iceberg. We started out at the beginning, we went out, and we came back in balance. <laughs> That's the word of the episode. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> to encapsulate it into one thing. Yes, exactly. What's up, everybody? It's Harrison again. I'm sure if you haven't heard by now, I just released the Technically Speaking Product Design Glossary. It's 118 need-to-know terms centered around the ins and out of user experience design. The best part about it is that it's a free download. Head on over to technicallyspeakinghw.com or our Instagram for more information. Hey, so, you know, I kind of want to get a little bit of your journey into design. You're obviously at another point right now of kind of moving from, we've seen you move from IC to obviously working at an agency, going in-house to leading teams. Maybe kind of take us through some of that motivation and maybe even like right now, like where's your head at in terms of, is it in design? What's the next challenge? Like, where do you see growth? Yeah, I think for me, just in terms of like motivations, yeah, I guess kind of going from agency to to product, a lot of it was, and I feel like this is probably a familiar story for quite a few people was working on things and feeling like I was designing a thing for the client. And not the actual end user and feeling kind of like curiosity about how do people actually use this thing that I've designed and I knew that I would never really get that answer so I think the more that I sort of thought about it the more that it felt a bit backwards that we were designing something it was like doing a lot of work for like Mercedes in particular anything that we knew about like the end user the demographics and so on came from the clients that we were working with and it felt you know unusual that we couldn't find out about these people any other way so that felt a bit off to me i really wanted to just understand like the life cycle of a project and actually get how that worked and i think around that time there was just like a lot more talk about design happening in-house design happening in startups and so on it's interesting how that shift happened for me when I was, you know, at, at uni and when I graduated, 
working in house had a really, really like boring <laughs> kind of connotation to it. It wasn't really seen as like the glamorous thing. I think the fun work seemed to be like at agencies, where it, whereas in house it felt very like thankless work somehow from, from the outside perspective anyway. So seeing that shift then of like actually really exciting work happening in house. And I think seeing design teams from in house being like really talented, talking about their work and their processes. For me, I got to this point working at agency where I wanted to figure out my next move and started to look for work outside of London, kind of coincided with this like restlessness, you know, wanting to just experience elsewhere. And I started to become aware of just like different companies that were basically here in Berlin. And that's what ultimately led me here to, you know, working within a company that was very different from companies I'd been in before, the startup, also doing a type of work that I wasn't really familiar with in, in a way. They knew that a lot of my skills were going to be necessary, were going to be useful, but there was also things that I had no idea about. So some of the first kind of work that I started doing was basically designing for conversion, a lot of A-B testing stuff. I think kind of get, getting like familiar with that concept was like completely new to me. Never had to do that at agency. So all of that was super fascinating for me. I think just generally when I think about my career as a whole thus far, I feel like the main thing that's always sort of motivated me and kind of pushed me forward is just having a curiosity for certain things, seeing something that I want to know more about or want to understand more. And just trying to basically follow that path and see where it takes me. So from kind of moving here and making that switch from agency to product to later on moving from the startup to working on a wayfinding platform that was, you know, very different for me just to design for that kind of space. And then eventually jumping into design leadership, I had like just a lot of curiosity about what it would be like to build a team, to grow that team to set design practices and standards and things like that. I think especially coming from previous companies where I had worked with different design leaders and kind of seen things that, yeah, seemed to be working really well, but also felt like there was like room for improvement. I wanted to understand how could I shape a culture or shape a team where maybe we could kind of build something different from scratch. So yeah, I think if I really think about it, it's curiosity. I have a bit of like an aversion to staying stagnant. <laughs> it really, really makes me feel like I am like regressing and like somehow actively losing skills. So I try and just like follow that path and I think most often go into spaces where I haven't necessarily been before and try and learn a different product area and just kind of keep learning that type of way. I'd love for you to maybe kind of unpack how you got to these four principles to lead. And you say that it's collaboration in all directions, openness, giving trust, and fairness. Maybe kind of take us through that. And how did you get to those? So actually, like in, I think it was 20, wow, well, I was about to say 2020, but actually 2021 time. It's no longer it feels forever ago, right? <laughs> yeah. 2021 <laughs> actually feels like five years ago at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but like, Early in uh, 2021, I joined this peer group, peer coaching group called Newfound Network, which was a really cool thing to be part of. There was like design leaders from a bunch of other companies. And it was just great to kind of talk to people who were peers, you know, working elsewhere and just kind of learn from them. And 
one of the exercises that we did, which was really interesting, was just kind of identifying principles. And that was really cool. I feel like just principles generally are something that really interests me. Principles apply to kind of anything, whether it's design principles or like art direction principles, whatever. And I think oftentimes principles are kind of emergent. They are kind of already there. You just sort of need to identify them. So I think being in a space where, you know, that the purpose of like that particular session was to identify those principles was really great just to be able to sit down and like reflect on it. So collaboration in all directions was one of the things that came up for me as well as like fairness. I think for me, it's just kind of like an aversion that I have to feeling like a leader who is somehow like way up top somehow and doesn't really connect to anyone else just because you have the lead in your title or whatever. And I think learning from other people, regardless of what level or where they might sit in an org, is not something that I ever want to lose, right? It's really important for me to just like stay open, like get feedback from what I'm doing, as well as be the one giving feedback and so on. So just in the way that I try to work, I try to model that. I really try to like, with people on my team, with people like around the company, actually have that collaboration and not sort of work in the dark. Like I try and work in the open as much as I can with my own work. So I think that's one that's really important for me, even on like different leadership teams I've been part of. It's something that I've like tried to push, like, cool, we're doing this thing. Maybe we're doing this strategy, whatever. How do we actually get the rest of the team involved? Right. So that one for me is like hugely important. Honestly, working remotely, it requires a lot more effort. Yes around the concept of openness, right? It takes on a whole other new meaning. Completely. Was this sort of a little bit of a motivation there too? In some way, yeah. I think it's something that's kind of always been there for me, but I think sort of like the timing of identifying that one, 2021, still working remotely. I think there was definitely, like I also had that sense of like, when you are working remote, you have to be way more intentional and deliberate about getting people involved and also just about like the visibility that you put on something. So then just the way that you collaborate has to be more direct. I think it has to be just kind of more deliberate. Otherwise, you are basically working in a silo. So I think that's you know one thing that I learned from this whole crazy past two years is Okay, if collaboration in all directions is one of those principles, how can I make sure that that is, you know, still a thing that's going to work in this new setup? And I think that's where like the intentionality comes in. So yeah, definitely been a a learning experience (laughs) regardless, I think, for all of us. Yeah. How does fairness show up? Fairness for me, it's, to be honest, when I reflect on it, I think oftentimes the way that it shows up is making sure that people have the recognition for the work that they're doing. And I think oftentimes that means in terms of like salary also kind of means in terms of title. What I've seen just kind of throughout my career, even before leadership was definitely a lot of people who worked really hard and had a lot of impact, but weren't really recognized appropriately for it. And I think that always really sucks to see. Um, And I think it just like, just in terms of the way it demotivates someone, but also just in terms of like that work going unacknowledged in a way for me, it's just kind of really, I find a bit of like an injustice in that, I would say. So 
as a leader, it's not something that I then want to perpetuate on my own teams. It's not always easy or perfect to do that. I think one of the ways that I've tried to, you know, make sure within my own teams that we get away from that is thinking about things like how do we make things like assessing performance or leveling and so on just a lot more transparent and basically a lot more equitable than it might otherwise be. I try and figure out how can we actually remove the bias from this? How can I just create transparency with someone on my team about like, here is what this accountability means for me. And let's have a discussion around what it means for you, whether like our thinking on that is aligned and whether you're kind of hitting that that accountability or not. And I think just kind of trying to frame that type of like performance discussion or leveling discussion or whatever in a way that it's less about like, here is me as your manager or whomever saying, this is where you are, whatever, or this is what I expect. And kind of moving to a space where it's like, let's have a conversation that's just a lot more mutual about what this means, I find tends to go better. And I think tends to kind of make people feel more invested and motivated to fix maybe their gaps or then get to the next level. So I think that's where it's showing up for me. I love that. One thing I'm going to take away from those four principles, it almost feels like a cycle. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. So in sort of having that fairness aspect, you need to be open about it. And I think to your point, it also breaks down a lot of those biases because people aren't assuming things. So with that piece, I want to kind of dive a bit into an article that you wrote last year. You already know what I'm, I'm about to ask you about. <laughs> and uh, you titled it, what we misunderstood about imposter syndrome as design leaders. And I love the little subtext because it says, are we really imposters or have we been gaslit into thinking so? So I'd love to know what kind of motivated that and maybe give the listeners, if they haven't read it, just a quick high-level synopsis of what you wrote about. So in summary, the article kind of goes into the ways in which we can kind of I would say mislabel ourselves as imposters, essentially. We might think that we have imposter syndrome, whereas actually could be any number of other things. And by kind of labeling ourselves as imposters, we don't really set ourselves up for success when it comes to resolving whatever it is that might kind of have us feeling like imposters. So in the article, I sort of break down that there are a couple of things that are involved. So it could be that you're a complete beginner. And I think this is probably where the ceramics things <laughs> comes up. Something that I reference in that article. One of the examples I give is when I was kind of learning ceramics on the wheel, I was absolute garbage. I was so bad at this. And in that studio, there were people who were complete pros making amazing things. And I was like, oh man, I like, I guess I am just going to like suck at this forever or something. But that's not the case. It's like, you're just a beginner and you have that journey where you are learning. And that's a journey that all beginners take regardless. So it's not imposter syndrome. It's just being a beginner, but we can kind of misidentify that as being an imposter. I think, especially in a, in a work environment where you see your peers who are like, you know, doing amazing things. It doesn't mean that you won't ever, it just means that they probably put in a certain level of work to get there and their path is their own path. So the second thing that I identify is just kind of temporarily feeling some self-doubt. So this is something that can happen if, you know, you are working, for example, on like a major new project and it's kind of pushing you to your limits. Or maybe you are kind of in a stretch role. You definitely have the skills for what you're doing, 
but maybe you don't have all of the skills. And at that moment, you're feeling like just a lot of doubt. But again, that doesn't mean that you're an imposter. It just means that you're doing something new and you're sort of like stretching yourself past your limits. You will kind of get over it and you'll, you know, you'll flourish, you'll learn something. That doesn't mean that you have imposter syndrome. And the third one is basically, you know, being in an environment that is, you know, maybe non-inclusive or maybe it's quite exclusionary and you might be just kind of like in a hostile workplace where because of that sort of exclusionary environment, you end up feeling othered. You might not feel like you belong there. So again, it doesn't mean that you have imposter syndrome per se. It means that you're in an environment that probably exacerbates those feelings and that really on you. So yeah, that's a, a quick summary. I think for me, it was um, a bit of a, a path to come to writing about this subject. So I'd previously given talks before about imposter syndrome as a new leader. And I felt like that was something important to talk about. Just the idea of going from being an IC to then being a manager. And I just wanted to call out that like, this is a completely different job. (laughs) So as part of that, you are going to feel like you're going to have, you know, these voices in your head telling you, okay, maybe you're not credible enough or making you feel like, oh, everyone is looking to you to know the answers, but you don't know all of the answers. So I want to just kind of like call that out and talk about like how you could kind of get away from that. And also the fact that like, it's a new job, it's going to take time to basically settle in and find your groove. And I think over time, I first gave that talk in 2019. And over time, I was thinking a lot more about imposter syndrome, the way it shows up in the workplace. I think also being a manager and having people like report into me, of course, and I've like worked with people who felt like they had imposter syndrome or identified as that. So I'd kind of seen it from a few different angles for myself, but also for the people that I've been working with. But I guess my thoughts about it just kind of started to change and evolve. And I think something that's been really cool is just seeing the discourse on imposter syndrome begin to shift as well with more people sort of falling out. You know, it's tough sometimes <laughs> to be in certain environments, especially if there are not many of you. So I think that also kind of made a light bulb go off just for me reflecting back on my own experiences. I sort of arrived at this point of like, okay, like, yeah, is it possible to have imposter syndrome? Like, of course, I think it's still a thing. But um, sometimes it can actually be a lot more nuanced than just like, oh, I have imposter syndrome. There could be a bunch of other things going on as well. Well, for listeners, we'll definitely add the link in the show notes so you can reference that. But I'll say this. I think the way that you broke it down into those three things were so on point. And I think the first two, I always kind of wonder if maybe expectations for designers or people going in a design career aren't set correctly because our role is to make sense out of ambiguity and naturally you are put into a leadership position. And then I think to that third point, that's something that I've always wrestled with myself. I don't think I've necessarily considered myself, you know, an imposter because I've worked very hard to get to the point that I've been at, but I've also been around environments that have been pretty hostile. I think maybe the pain in that came from not being able to have a conversation with somebody that might be going through the same thing. And so I think maybe that's where that feeling tends to come from. So I appreciate you walking us through that and writing that article. 
will definitely amplify because I think those are some really important words that you share. And, you know, we're kind of getting to the top of our episode. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners? Yeah. You know, (laughs) I am like fully in break mode, I feel like. So if I have anything to share, then it would just be enjoy where you are. Just been really loving going for a lot of walks, doing things with my hands, ceramics, uh, and also boxing, I guess is also (laughs) another thing. Just generally punching people in the face. (laughs) Do you actually, do you spar with anybody? Have you sparred with anyone? Yes, they made us spar. And, um, oh my gosh, by the way, look at me. I'm like this. Did you spar with anybody? Go ahead. Yeah. It's like, man. Yeah. They made a spa the other week and I legit got punched in the face. And I was like, what? I wasn't expecting this. And then I had to remember, I was like, but you signed up for a boxing course. (laughs) What were you expecting? (laughs) I was like, of course you punch in the face. You're going to get punched. It's boxing. (laughs) It's like a humbling moment, right? Because you're like, oh, that just happened. Yeah, it just happened. I was like, I was shocked. It was like Pikachu face. I was like, what's going on? But no, it's been actually like a really fun experience because I think a lot of it is like teaching you about your reflexes, just like things that you never really, well, I guess you sort of have to utilize it in your day to day in a way, but in a way that's not as conscious somehow with boxing. So yeah, I don't know if there's like a message to bring with listeners, just do things that you enjoy, especially as a I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I got out of it. I'll tell you what I got out of it. (laughs) You're like, be present in the moment yeah. or else you're just going to get hit. <laughs> Otherwise you're going to get punched in the face. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So how, how might people get in touch with you? I am on Twitter um, at ID withheld. Also email hey at tammy-a.com. And yeah, I think Medium. Also feel free to check out some of the things I've written. And yeah, I think that's like mostly mostly the best ways. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure our listeners and viewers will too as well. You have a good one. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to talk to you.